Amen. Please have a seat. So after the Holy Spirit had come upon them and they began to preach the gospel with boldness, the disciples were arrested multiple times and beaten multiple times. And the Pharisees gathered together with them and beat them. And after they flogged them and released them, we see this picture in Acts chapter 4 of Peter stepping up and saying this, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom, the anoint, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate among the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. So here's a question. Who put Jesus on the cross? It wasn't Pilate, it wasn't Herod, it wasn't the Jews, it wasn't the Gentiles, it was God. He predestined that to happen. The cross is not an accident. We cannot forget that. God wasn't up in heaven going, oops, didn't see that coming. He moved it intentionally to a point where his son would be crucified. And then look at how it goes on. And now, Lord, take note of their threats, that's the world, and grant your bondservants, that's us, that we may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal, and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Do you see what Peter sees as their response, as our response? Boldly proclaiming the gospel, even in the face of persecution. And then it finishes in that scene, they are praying together as God's people, about 120 in a room, and it says, And when they had prayed, the place where they gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Guys, that's the result. The result of the cross and the result of us believing in the power of the cross and the result of us being bold and even praying bold prayers is seeing the very ground shaken. And we're going to see a glimpse of that in Revelation today in, in really powerful ways. Guys, here's what you got to get out of today's message. If he perfectly orchestrated every detail that was required for his son to come here the first time and end up on a cross exactly when he wanted him to, we can trust him to do the same thing the second time. But, but, but picture what it must have been like for the people, like the, the, not just the disciples, but for pe the God's people to wonder what in the world is God doing? He would made this promise that the Messiah was going to come and yet they found themselves under Roman rule and they'd been, they, they had not been their own nation for over 400 years and, and, and he's, they had to have been wondering, like, what are you doing, God? And yet, in the midst of all that, it wasn't in spite of all that, it was in the midst of all that, he was telling his story and bringing his son. And we can look around the world now and see the same kind of chaos and go, what in the world are you doing? And what he is doing is in his sovereignty, by, by his grand mystery, he is bringing about exactly what needs to happen to bring his son the second time. Guys, if you get nothing else out of today, just listen to the next few words. Everything in your life you see as chaos, your Christ controls. Everything in your life you see as chaos, the world, your personal life, whatever it is, everything in your life you see as chaos, your Christ controls. That's the biblical reality. 
whether it makes sense to us or not. We've seen this, we're in this series called Already Finished But Not Yet Done, and what we're seeing is that there is this battle that's raging all around us, and yet we know that victory is certain. And we're living in the tension of we're in the battle, but we know the victory's coming, and how do you do that? And so that's why books like Daniel and Revelation are so good to go through, because it reminds us that we're in a fight, but that the victory is certain. Today's message is entitled, Seven Trumpets and a Moment of Thanks. Last week was Seven Seals and a Moment of Silence. Today is Seven Trumpets and a Moment of Thanks. And here's the question I want to ask. How is your life a living witness that his kingdom will come and that his will is being done on earth as it is in heaven? Guys, we have been praying that prayer for 2,000 years as a body of Christ. He taught us to pray that. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What we're seeing now in Revelation, what we're going to see and what we saw last week and this week, we're seeing that come to fruition. God is pulling back the veil and he's giving us a glimpse of what is to come. And it's what it takes to get his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. By way of review, in chapter 5, we saw Jesus come up and take the scroll from his father's hands that had seven seals on it. And he opened each of these seven seals one at a time. And that was in chapters 5 and 6. And then we get to chapter 7, which is sort of this intermission, a, uh, an interlude where we get to see real worship happen. happen. And then at the, end of, at the very beginning of chapter 8, He opens the seventh seal, and there is silence in heaven for half an hour. And that's pretty much where we left off. What we're going to see today, just to give you a picture of what we'll see and where we're going, is like last week we saw seven seals. This week we're going to see seven trumpets. Seven trumpets that are blown in in succession to bring about God's plan. And a trumpet is an instrument of announcement in the Bible. God is, we we see that even in places like 1 Corinthians 15, when it talks about the second coming and Jesus is coming back to get his bride, it says there's a sound of the trumpet. These trumpets are always announcing, hey, listen up, God is about to do something miraculous, and we're going to see that today. And then moving forward, we're going to see in the next few weeks, we're going to see these seven bowls of wrath. But what we have to remember about all of this is that, that, that God is orchestrating this in his perfect timing. It is not, and, and it is what we're seeing in the world right now. And it is not out of his control. God has not lost control. We have to believe that. We have to live like we believe that because it's the truth if you believe in a biblical God. But if you remember where we started back on June 9th when we started this series, part of what God grabbed a hold of my heart with was just how desperate the need is in the church. It's why we pray for other churches during the pastoral prayer at the start of the service. Because, guys, even though all of this stuff is being orchestrated in the world and we think, okay, it's all for those people, it's Revelation, remember, 18, verse 4, verse 3, when he says, come out of her, that's the world system, my people. He is proclaiming as much in Revelation to us as his church as he is to a world that he's trying to get their attention in. But we are on a need-to-know basis. And I frustrated some of you guys last week because I get, didn't get into all the details of chapters, um, of chapters, um, si- of chapter 6, and I'm going to do the same thing in chapters 8 and 9 today. Because we are on a need-to-know basis. De- one of my favorite verses, Deuteronomy 29, 29. Who knows what it says? Somebody decides Dawkins. Who knows what it says? I know he knows. 
It says, the sec- Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the, the Lord, but the things revealed belong to the sons of men. Right? He, we are on a need-to-know basis. And we can spend time getting derailed on, are these things that we're, that we're going to skim over today, are they spiritual, like just demons, or are they helicopters that are controlled by demons in this final world battle? It doesn't matter. It's all the same. It's all being used by God in control of Satan, who is just a tool of God, to bring about God's final judgment on the world. That's what we need to remember. So let's open up our Bibles to Revelation chapter 8 in verse 1, if you're not already there. And it's where we left off last week, and it says in chapter 8 verse 1, When the Lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And then pick it up in verses 2 through 6, and he says this, And when I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and the seven trumpets, seven trumpets were given to them, and another angel came and stood at the altar holding a golden censer. That's a thing to hold incense. And much incense was given to him so that he might add to it the prayers of the saints. And we talked about that before, that our prayers are lifted to heaven as incense and collected and presented to God on the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it to the earth. And there followed peals of thunder and sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. I mean, guys, just get the scene right there. Our prayers partnering with the power of the throne of God are what God is using to push his plan forward in the world. Our prayers combined with power from the throne of God are what he is using to push his plan forward in the world. Prayer moves the arm that moves the world, Charles Spurgeon said. So today's question, how is your life a living witness? We're going to answer in a sentence through this outline in these four chapters we're going to get through today. The first point is this. When we see the judgment that is to come, when we see the judgment that is to come. What we're going to skim through here in chapters 8 and 9 are these seven trumpets, and there is judgment, and they're ever-increasing in intensity. But guys, that shouldn't surprise us. For those of you that have either watched a woman give birth or have been blessed enough to give birth, you know it is not the first pain of contraction that brings the life into the world. It's the last one. And it's the same thing with God's judgment. It's not the first pain of judgment. It's the last one. So these things, just like in labor, these increasing intensity judgments are going to come upon the world. Seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. Here comes Jesus the last time. So let's look at the first four of these trumpets, and I'm just going to summarize chapter eight. These first four are all from above. In verse seven, the first trumpet is So after the seventh seal is broken, the first trumpet is blown. And that first trumpet is a hailstorm that's also turned to fire, very much like Exodus. And you'll see throughout um, throughout these judgments that they very much mirror what happened in the book of Exodus. And a third of all of the land on the earth was consumed in this hailstorm and fire. Then the second trumpet in verses 8 and 9 is blown. And we see that a third of the oceans are destroyed by a meteor that lands in them, which 
is which if you've followed any like news media or anything over the last few years, you know, I mean, we can go to the northern Arizona and see the devastation that can happen when a meteor strikes the earth at Meteor Crater. So it shouldn't surprise us that a meteor could land in the ocean and destroy a third of all life in the ocean. And then in verses 8 through 10, that's the third trumpet, we see something like a star or a comet, and it falls and it destroys a third of the world's fresh water. That very easily could be most of the world's fresh water is actually located in two places, the North and South Pole. It could just be simply whatever that comet or star is lands on one of those two and destroys all of the fresh water that is stored in one of those two places. And then the fourth trumpet, and I said I was going to go fast, is in verse 12, and it says, the fourth angel sounded, the third sounded, so the fourth trumpet was blown, and a third of the sun and the moon and, the, and a third of the stars were struck. So they were darkened. So now all of a sudden the sun and the moon, and the, as, as if things aren't already getting scary enough, this fourth trumpet sounds and the world turns at least a third darker than it is now. And then we see in verse 13, Then I looked and I heard an eagle flying in the mid-heaven, saying with a loud voice, Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, no kidding, right? Like really, whoa, hang on. This is, this is unloading. And, and I mean, the news media can't keep up at this point. To those who dwell on the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. Now can you imagine... We've seen a third of the oceans destroyed, a third of the freshwater destroyed. We've seen the sun, the moon, and stars darkened. We've seen the land, a third of the land destroyed. And the angel is saying, it's getting worse. Be ready. These last two are trumpets five and six before we get to seven. So these next two, those first four were all things that came to the earth from above. These last two are going to be things that come to the earth from below. But we have to see that God is in complete control. Whether these things that I'm skimming over in chapter 9 now are purely spiritual or some mix of physical and spiritual doesn't really matter. I, I, I beg you not to get derailed and distracted by trying to figure out what kind of weapon they're talking about in, cha in chapter 9 verses 1 through 11. It doesn't matter. If you're a believer, you'll know when you see it. And if you're not, it won't make any difference. Because you're still not going to believe. And we'll see that in just a minute. But get this. In, in verses 9 through 11 of chapter 9, look at what it says. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth. It's probably a reference to Satan. Remember, these, these things are not written chronologically necessarily. So he's getting a flashback to when Satan had fallen. And it says, And the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. And he opened the bottomless pit. Well, I want to show you just real quick here. I want to show you who gave him the key. Who was in control of the pit before it was given to Satan? God. And we, here's how we know that. There's a scene where Jesus crosses the, the Sea of Galilee and he goes to a place called Gennesaret and this man who they call Legion because he's, con he's consumed with many demons, he walks up to, to Jesus and he says, we know who you are. You are the son of God. And then they beg him, please don't cast us into, guess where? The bottomless pit. See, somehow when a third of the angels fell with Satan, and we've talked a little bit about that in this series, when a third of them fell with Satan, the worst of the worst 
were placed into this bottomless pit and covered up by God. Like he was like, the world is not ready. So, so, the, so there's a bunch of them roaming around right now, Satan and his demons. But the worst of the worst are in this bottomless pit. And at this point in history, God is going to hand Satan the key and say, let him loose. And these things are going are to create terror upon the world for five months. Uncontrolled terror is what those verses will tell you. You feeling pretty good now? That's why, because if you didn't listen to the message from Labor Day weekend, if you were not here or you just, or, or you need to be, I'm telling you, go back and renew your mind with who is in charge and orchestrating all of this. You need to go back and reread Revelation 5 because it's all in Christ's control. Now, in, in Revelation 9, verses 12 through 19, you're going to, you get a glimpse of it. And by the way, if you were doing what you were supposed to be doing, you would have read all of this yesterday in your daily reading. So it's not like I can just say I'm just skipping it because you should have read it. And you have the same Holy Spirit I do and you can read these things too. Right? So don't blame me if you didn't read through it and you're like, there's some good stuff here. You could have read it yesterday. You could read it tomorrow too if you want. But if we, try, we try to make sure we're covering everything in lots of different ways. What you see in verses 12 through 19 is this army 200 million strong rise up. Whether that's, it's an army, bottom line, again, whether it's all spiritual, it's controlled by the enemy. It is controlled by Satan. It is controlled probably by his Antichrist. And it is going to kill a third of all of the people in the world that are left at this point. So now that you're feeling really good about where you're at, I want to remind you again of the question. In light of what we just talked about, how is your life a living witness that his kingdom will come, that his will is being done on earth as it is in heaven? Guys, when we see the judgment that is around us, and get this, and the spiritual blindness that is among us, because understand this. Look at verses 20 and 21 of chapter 9. Picture this. All of this stuff has happened in the world. All of this stuff out of, out of I mean, the world is literally quaking in God's judgment. And get this. The rest of mankind who are not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hand so as not to worship demons and the idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and wood that can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murderers, nor of their sorcerers, nor of their immorality, nor of their thefts. Guys, do you, do you see what, even in the midst, what, what in the world is God doing? Like, why, why is he alive? Is he just some sadist that wants to? No, he is trying to wake up the world. And even in the midst of this, like, like shaking the world to get them to wake up from their spiritual slumber, it says that no, they didn't repent. They're still asleep. They're still spiritually blind because they're controlled by the enemy. Guys, that's the condition of all people that are apart from Christ. That's who I was for the first half of my 50 years blinded by all, somebody could say to me, look at what God's doing in the world, and I didn't see it. I stood at the rim of the Grand Canyon as an interpretive park ranger and talked about how millions of years and evolution, and, and, and now in a few weeks, I get the blessing of standing back up there with anybody brave enough to go with me and talk about how, no, this is all a great picture of God's grace, judgment, covering of sin, his, his, the way he can take something ugly and make it beautiful. And here's how it came to be, biblically. But it took God opening the spiritual eyes of my heart to see that happen. 
We have to recognize the people around us are blind to the things of God. And we have to remember who we are. Paul says this in Colossians 3. Consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Guys, get this. He's talking to the church. He's not talking to the world. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience, and in them you also once walked when you were living in them. Apart from the grace of God, we are no different. And, and if you don't believe that, you're not po- you can't possibly have the living testimony you should have. If you believe that you're better than them, whoever them is, the them could be the spouse sitting next to you, or the them could be a world that you see on the news, I'm telling you, you don't get the grace of God. You say, where is the mercy in all of this? Like, wait a minute, I thought God was merciful and gracious. Guys, simply put, I was thinking about that, I'm like, man, because I don't like, I mean, I don't like that this is in the Bible either, in a sense. It just doesn't sound very loving and caring and, and all warm and fuzzy, and let's, let's have a big group hug here, right? But guys, did he have to have seven seals? Did he have to have seven trumpets? Does he have to have seven? Couldn't he just have done, couldn't he have just gone, I'm done with you people, good luck. Bam, all, all at once. The, the fact that he is doing, that he's pouring these things out in succession, in succession is evidence of his mercy and grace because he doesn't have to do it that way. He chooses to because he wants people to repent and that's what we're going to see in chapters 10 and 11. So today's question is, how is your life a living witness? When we see the judgment that is around us and the spiritual blindness all are, that, 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 is, that is to come and the spiritual blindness that is all around us as the people of the promise, and that's what we start to see in chapter 10, as the people of the promise. Guys, these verses we're going to see in chapters 10 and 11 remind us that we have to trust in the promises of God. A.W. Tozer said that what comes to mind when you think about God might be the most important thing about us. What comes to mind when you think about God might be the most important thing about us. Guys, if you read through this and you see, like I did for years and years, this judgmental God. Some of you are sitting here right now and you're like, I have no idea why I'm sitting here right now. I came here to feel good. I came here to, and this is not good news to me. Guys, I'm not judging you for that at all. Come talk to me. That's who I was. I would read passages like this and I would read the Old Testament and I would go, who would believe in this judgmental, vengeful God? Because as an unbeliever, as an unregenerate heart, that's what I saw. And now I look at those same words and I go, man, he is long-suffering. He didn't have to give me seven times, seven times chances like he has. He could have just smited me all at once. And he didn't. And he's offering you the opportunity to respond to his grace today. Look at verse 1. I saw another strong angel. Strong angel, that's probably Michael. Because the name Michael, that remember we talked about him, he's one of the archangels. He's the one who commands God's armies, apparently. The name Michael actually means who is like God. And so you see this picture of, I see, I see this strong angel coming down out of the heaven and clothed with a cloud and a rainbow was upon his head and his face was like the sun and his feet like the pillars of fire. And in his hand was a little book or a scroll. This is a small scroll, not the scroll that Jesus was holding, which was open, which was open. He placed his right foot on the sea and he placed his left foot on the land. 
I love that picture of, of it's, it's like God, he's, God is sending Michael to say, hey guys, listen up, here's the deal. I have the rest of my plan in Michael's hand and I'm about to unload it on the world. Now look at Michael's response. He says, and he cried out with a loud voice. He is the angel Michael and said, as, as when a lion roars. I mean, just, I, I can't even imagine being John and having this vision. And when he had cried out, the seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. And when the seven peals of thunder had spoken, I was about to write it down. So he hears it. John hears it. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up the things which the seven peals of thunder have spoken and do not write them. Deuteronomy 29, 29. There's, there's, there's great proof of that. He's saying, John, no, 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 no. This is one of those things that I am not going to reveal to the world. Don't write it down. Now get this. Keep, but, but guys, understand, you know, wait, that, doesn't, that doesn't feel fair to me. I want to know what those seven peals of thunder are. Don't you? Right? You want to see, like, what's happening next, Lord? But guys, we've got to understand something. That, that this book, Scripture, is written to save sinners and to sanctify saints, that's those people that have already come to Christ. It's, it's, so, so this book is revealed by God. It's God-breathed to save the lost, to sanctify those who are already saved. That, means, that just means make them look more like Jesus Christ. It is not to satisfy our curiosity. Right? God is not interested in just helping you figure out all the details. He's interested in teaching you to trust the one who already has all the details in his control. That's what he's interested in. And I know I keep saying that because I'm telling you, I, I get testimony of this even after church sometimes, where people are, are caught up in the details and they're missing the deity behind them. Don't. Don't miss Jesus in this. This was written to save those of you in this audience right now in the hearing of my voice who are not yet saved and for those of us that are to turn us more, to make us look more like Jesus Christ. That's the whole end game for God. His number one concern in your life is to look like Jesus. That's it. Your happy marriage, your wonderful family, your good job, your whatever, those are just parts of his toolkit to use to make you look like Christ. I love verses five through seven. I just, I mean, I, I wish, I wish, I could see, like, just, like, like I wish I had any idea what, what Gabriel or what um, Michael actually looked like. Just because, yeah, I can't even imagine. Verse 5. Then the angel whom I, who I saw standing on the sea and on the land. So this angel is, part, is like standing on both things. And he, said, and he lifts up his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heaven and the things in it and the earth and the things in it and the sea and the things in it, that there will be delay no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when it is about to sound, so he's saying the seventh trumpet is coming, then the mystery of God is finished. And, he, and he, as he preached to his servants, the prophets. Guys, this is, this is Michael, one of God's chief like, soldiers, saying he is, he's letting all of creation, land and sea, know. He's letting all of creation know God's plan is coming and there's no delay. There's nothing stopping it. I have it in my hand. I have God's power behind me and nothing's stopping me. We should take great comfort in that because there's huge power in our God. And then he goes on to say, it's kind of interesting here. Look at verse 9. 
so I went to the angel, tell, I, I went to the angel, wow, gutsy move, telling him to give me a little book, the little book, really gutsy move. And he said to me, take it and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and I ate it. And in my mouth it was sweet as honey. And when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And they said to me, you must prophesy again concerning many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. Like, what, what's that about? Good question. Thanks, John, for not letting us in on it. Here's what, here's what I, it's an obvious picture of. Get God's word into you. Get into the word and get it into you. I'm not, I don't have time for my soapbox, but you guys know, guys, daily reading and, and not just reading and responding to the word of God is the key to living out this, this life of trusting in God. With everything that's going on in our world, we cannot, we cannot live the victorious Christian life, which simply just means like keep pressing on until he comes and gets us or until we, until we go to see him. We can't do that apart from actually not just reading it, but responding to it. In some way, interacting with God's word. And that's the picture we see here. He's like, eat it. And when we do eat, guys, there are times in the word where you read it and you're just like, man, that is sweet to my soul. And then there are times like yesterday's daily reading. For those of you that are reading through, the, and you're like, eight chapters eight, you're like, man, that was bitter. Like that was bitter in my stomach. Why? Because you see the judgment that is to come. One of the things I love about God's word is, is it's not just a bunch of great little stories. Right? It's the good news, but it's not all good news from our perspective. And we have, to, we have to be able to say, okay, it nurtures my soul and it ought to break my heart for those people that don't know about it. That's what I think John is seeing. He's seeing all these people that are going to get judged and, it, and it's upsetting his stomach. Can you blame him? So we're getting to our last point. So how is your life a living witness that his kingdom will come and that his will is being done on earth as it is in heaven? But when we see the judgment that's to come and the spiritual blindness that's all around us, as the people of God's promise, may we be witnesses to his kingdom glory. May we be witnesses to his kingdom glory. Guys, at this point in the book, chapter 11 is where I'm at. The seventh trumpet is going to blow, and here we go. And you're going to see this unfold in the, coming, in the next few weeks. And I'm going to frustrate some of you by just summarizing the first... 10 or 11 verses of chapter 11 because there's just these two witnesses that appear on the screen, on, on the scene. These two witnesses and flame comes out of their mouths when people try to attack them and they are there to proclaim like the, what, what Michael just said. The time has come. Nothing is stopping God at this point. Now, who are these two witnesses? There's a, there's a lot of theories about that. I personally believe if you read the chapter like you would have this morning that it's Moses and Elijah because they're a great picture of the plagues that are to come. The, blood, the sea turns red and, and, um, and they're also a great picture of fire coming down from heaven, which Elijah, Elijah, it wasn't just on Mount Carmel that fire was brought down in Elijah's ministry. There was a time where, where Elijah, a couple of different times where Elijah's sitting there by himself and the king of Israel, who was a pagan, who was, worship, who was an idol worshiper, keeps sending 50 men to come get him and, and, and arrest him and bring him to him. And every time they show up, fire comes down from heaven and consumes them. So after the after this third set of 50 shows up, the commander of that 50 are like, um, hey, I know who you are, so don't like smoke me, but could you just come with me? And God's like, yeah, go with him, Elijah. 
But that's who these, that's who I believe these two people are. It doesn't really matter because here's the point. The word that's, the, the word in Greek that is translated witness there is martia in the Greek. Martia. It's M-A-R-T-Y-R-I-A, which would be the transliteration of that Greek word. What does that word sound like, martia? Martyr. It's where we get the English word martyr. Now, martyr doesn't always mean killed, at least not in that, in that context, but it does mean persecuted. So the question becomes, and how, it, and how even this relates to our question of the day, is when, when we talk about, is your life a living testimony? Are you, all a testimony is, is a living witness. These guys are powerful living witnesses, to be sure. But over and over in the New Testament, it talks about how, they, how we, in Revelation, we've seen it. They did not love their life even to the point of death. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Their martyrdom. Guys, here's, you say, but, but what is the testimony? What is the testimony of these two witnesses? And, and more importantly, what is our testimony? Here's it, here it is, in a nutshell. There is a God, and you're not it. That's it, honestly. There is a God in heaven, and you're not it. But guys, th that does not sell. And I'm not just talking about bringing people to church. I'm talking about, that doesn't sell in the coffee shop. When you start talking, because you tell somebody, somebody else is in control of their life. Not, does not, hasn't worked since the garden. Right? It, that's ultimately, that's what Satan, and that didn't work prior to that when Satan fell. Satan's problem was he wanted control. Adam and Eve's problem was they wanted control. Our whole problem is a worship problem. We want to worship us. And if you're sitting here today going, that's not me, there's proof. Seriously, that's not me. If you're sitting here today going, yeah, I am not a worshiper of self. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, here's the, because even when we're looking at this, immediately, I'm looking at this, and I'm, this meaning this, these passages, and I'm immediately thinking of more my wife and my daughters, and oh no, I was having a conversation with Sean after church on Sunday, Sean Valentine, and we were talking about just like, like I, I, I get anxious too, guys, thinking about this stuff coming, especially for my wife and my daughters, and yet I have to stop and renew my mind with the truth that it's, this is not about me, it's not about them, it's not even about us. This, all of this, all of this, all of this is all about him. It's all about him. We got to get over ourselves, but that doesn't sell. In the 1800s, Charles Spurgeon said this. No, get the, in the 1800s, no doctrine in the whole world in the whole word of God has more excited the hatred of mankind than the truth of the absolute sovereignty of God, that God is in control. The fact that our Lord reigneth is indisputable. And it is this fact that arouses the utmost opposition in the unrenewed human heart. Guys, he wrote that in the 1800s. Has it gotten better? Have we become less self-worshippers? Oh my, it's out. It is literally out of control. Not out of his control, but it is. Out. You be you. 
What, what is UBU if it's not worship yourself? Now, some of you old people like me don't know that because you don't have teenagers or young adults or whatever, but it's this idea of you, be, you believe what you believe and I'll believe what I believe, and as long as your belief doesn't interfere with my belief, that's fine. Here's the problem. They're starting to see, even, do, even those people, the people that are unrenewed, unrege, unregenerate, they're starting to see that their you and their you are conflicting with each other. Now what do we do? Because they, they don't have anybody outside of them, God, to tell them, here's really it's not you be you, it's you look like me. Right? And, and apart from that, we cannot possibly live this world in this world because this world is all about self-worship. It is, guys. I, I, I'm not anti-TV. I'm not anti... I, I, I even listen to some music that's not Christian. <gasps> I repent. I'm not saying that every single area of your life has to be specifically Bible. But every area of our lives is supposed to be specifically God-glorifying. Right? And, and, if, and if what the filter, we need to filter our lives through individually as a married couple, as a family, and as a church is, is this, whatever that thing is, making me look more or less like Jesus Christ? Because he's coming back. And he's going to come back for a bride who makes herself ready. All sin is a worship issue. Now, now get this. And this is why I love how this chapter ends. Look at verse 15. We're, going to, we're wrapping it up with this. It says, The seventh angel sounded, and there was a loud voice in heaven saying, remember these, are, these, these um, trumpets are just announcements. They're, they're, assist, they're a, um, an instrument of announcement to God. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Do you see what he's saying there? Guys, if that is not underlined in your Bible, it ought to be. What he's saying is at this point in human history, now remember, this is not chronological. Revelation is not written chronologically. But when it's all said and done at the end, the kingdom of the world that's currently ruled by Satan is, has become the kingdom of our Lord. What does that sound like? Jesus' prayer, right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. Guys, we've been praying that prayer for 2,000 years. Here it is. Verse 15 of Revelation 11. His kingdom has come, his will is being done. And the 24 elders who sat on the thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped. We give thanks. That's their response. Their response to this isn't fear. Their response isn't dread. Their response is thanks. Oh Lord, the Almighty, who, who are and who were, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were enraged and your wrath came and, and, your, and your wrath came and the time came for the dead to be judged and the time of, to reward your bondservants and the, pro, the prophets and the saints, that's us, and those who fear your name, the small and the great, and so to destroy those who destroy the earth. And the temple of God, which is in heaven, was opened. Now get this, guys. And the ark of his covenant appeared in his temple. And there was flashes of lightning and sounds of pearls of thunder, of peals of, sorry, of peals of thunder and an earthquake and a great hailstorm. God is literally waking up, his, shaking the world awake because do you get this? Do you see what this is? So every other time we've gotten a glimpse in Revelation, and I really am wrapping up, every time we get a glimpse of, of heaven, the throne room of God, 
we see the throne as the throne. Fire, coal, like all of a sudden it says, and, and, and the throne, it were, I'm in the temple, and the God of heaven was, and it was opened, and the ark of his covenant appeared in his temple. What's that about? Well, guys, if you know your Old Testament, what is the ark of the covenant? What's on the top of the ark of the covenant? What was that called? There were two cherubim. So when the, uh, once a year, when the, when the high priest got to go into the Holy of Holies, where, where the veil was torn and Jesus gave us access to, now we have, we have access to this throne. This is a throne. What is, what is that space between the two cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant called? The mercy seat. Thank you. It's the mercy seat of God. Do you see what God is doing here? He's saying in the midst of this judgment, I remember my mercy. In the midst of this chaos, I will bring opportunities for grace. He's saying, guys, don't lose sight of not only is he in control of all things, but guys, he is inviting you to join him. He is not standing back right now or even through what we just read in these four chapters going, it's too late, it's too late, it's too late. He's offering again. He's saying, here it is. Here's my mercy. Just take it. I did all the work. As the music team comes up and the lights come down, I just want to ask you as we respond to this, how are we to live? What are we to do? What are we to make of all of this appearing chaos? Well, the answer is the question today. How is your life a living testimony? How is your life a living testimony? Guys, we of all people in the world, and, and I'm speaking like conviction in my own heart, because this is, those of you that know me well know this is not me. We of all people in the world ought to be the most positive. We ought to have the great, the, the most encouraging outlook. Because we know what the end is. We know we win. Because he won. It is finished. So what do we do? Well, we talk about this a lot here, and I'm just going to run through them really quick. We behold God. We have to behold God. We have to believe that he is better than anything else in our lives and, and, and pursue him with our whole heart. We have to believe his promises. Guys, we have to come to the Bible believing it is the word of God, believing that it will do what it says it will do. We have to, we, uh, otherwise, it's just words on a page. We have to belong to his bride. Guys, we, we are what Jesus is doing on the world right now. When we, when we ask the question, what in the world are you doing, God? He's saying, look in the mirror. You are what I'm doing right now. We have to become like him in our sufferings. That's the part we don't like so much, right? 
But this momentary light affliction is producing in you an eternal weight of glory that is far beyond all comparison because we fix our eyes not on the things that are seen, what's going on in the world right now, what's going on in our lives right now, but we fix our eyes on the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are going to burn. We're going to see that. But the things that are not seen are eternal. And the last thing is we have to behave like his kingdom is our highest priority. We have to live like it matters more than anything else in my life. Because that includes my marriage, that includes my family, that includes this church. We have to live for kingdom glory. The only way we can be used by him to really answer the prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, is if we believe his kingdom is what really matters. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for that truth. I thank you for the truth that you are the same God who orchestrated all of the details for your first coming. And we love that. We celebrate that. That's Christmas. We, we know that the, the price was paid and that it was finished at the cross and we have victory. And yet we're stuck here in this world where our flesh has a memory and sin seems to reign. Lord, I pray the same thing I prayed when I started, that we would remember that at the name of Jesus, demons flee. At the name of Jesus, your glory falls. At the name of Jesus, hearts are changed. At the name of Jesus, your church is empowered. At the name of Jesus, we worship. Lord, may we live for the glory of the name above all names, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.